Uh, so we're in Galatians. You guys know much about Galatians? Besides that it's written to the Galatians? Paul wrote it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, learned quite a bit about this deal. He wrote it to a group of churches in the region of Galatia. And it's really, it's the only letter that he wrote to a group of churches and not to an individual church or an individual person. Um, and he preached to these churches in this region. And after he left, uh, a group of people came into those churches and began to teach things that were contrary uh, to what Paul was teaching. And these teachings were things like that circumcision was necessary in addition to faith in order to receive salvation. They were teaching other stuff too, but that was the biggie. Um, that you had to do certain things, like according to the Jewish law, in order to receive salvation, in addition to believe. So Paul wrote this letter to try to get them to understand where they had ventured away from the true gospel. Um, it's interesting when he wrote this. There's lots of discussions about it. Uh, but the best we can figure is he wrote this around 48, 49 A.D., which may have made this his very first letter that he wrote. Um, he definitely wrote it before Romans, before 1 Corinthians, because of some of the stuff he mentions here and there. Uh, almost every single guy that I looked up believes this is a kind of a rough outline, rough draft for Romans, because he uses Romans and expounds on almost every single theme he brings up here uh, in, in more depth there in Romans. And so I mean, as we read through it, thinking that this might have been most likely his very first letter that he wrote, you can kind of get a sense of uh, the, the um, I don't even know how to phrase it, the uh, uh, bluntness of youth <laughs> in some of the things he says. That He doesn't necessarily soften the way he says it in Romans, but he says it in a uh, softer, in a more kind way <laughs> than necessarily how he just flat out says it here, even uh, using, I mean, not verbal, not... Um, uh, vulgar language by today's standards, but definitely by first century standards in Galatians a bit. Um, but uh, it's interesting to see how he writes this compared to some of his other stuff. But let's dive right in. Uh, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who were with me, to the churches of Galatia. This introduction is very similar to how he does it in a lot of his other books, uh, a lot of his other letters. Um, but he also does this in a different way, because this is almost in a hurried sense, almost like he wants to get right to the heart of the matter. He doesn't include things in here like, I'm so thankful for you, for this and that, like he does in Corinthians, or um, I can't wait to come to you like he does in Romans. Uh, he just says grace, or he's going to say it in the next verse, grace and peace to you. Uh, but he just says, I'm Paul, I'm writing to you Galatians, grace and peace to you. All right, let's get down to it. Uh, but right here in the beginning, he, he begins his introduction, uh, almost introducing what he's going to argue later on. You don't really notice it until you read later on, but he calls himself an apostle, meaning someone who's sent out with a message. That's literally what it means in the Greek, uh, which Paul definitely seems to be that kind of guy. Uh, but that very thing was something that the people he's writing to had an issue with. Um, it's hard to imagine us thinking Paul, somebody questioning whether or not he's an apostle, but that's what some of the people in the church were doing, is they were questioning whether or not he was an apostle. 
and had the right to be teaching anything about Jesus. And so he dives right into the issue right off the bat. They're questioning his authority uh, as an apostle. And he says right at the beginning of the letter that his authority, you see there in verse 1, is not granted by a human person, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. So he says that his right to call himself an apostle doesn't rest with any individual person, or really what any individual person might say about him. He knows the source of his calling, and no one is going to get him to question that calling. And so he writes to these churches in Galatia, uh, which would have been cities most likely from his first missionary journey in the book of Acts, uh, which were Derby and Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And so he writes to these churches. This is southern Galatia area. Uh, so they can take this letter and give it to all the churches there. Uh, verse 3, he says, Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I've always wondered about him saying this in each one. You know, who is Paul? I mean, really, who is anybody? But who is Paul to grant grace and peace? You know, like, I give you grace. I give you peace. Um, but that's not necessarily the sense of what he's doing. That's what I've thought in the past. Um, he doesn't have the ability to grant grace and peace to anyone. Neither do any of us, except maybe through sharing in the gospel. But it's a phrase he consistently uses. It's almost like it's a prayerful blessing that he's offering for the people that he's writing to. He's praying that the Lord will grant the readers. Thanks, Dennis. It is good noise. I'm really surprised at how quiet they are. The brownies haven't kicked in yet. That's right. That's right. Uh, so grace and peace. It's a blessing he's offering for the people. He's praying that the Lord will grant the readers grace and peace in their lives. Uh, but it's also interesting that in chapter 6 of Galatians, you know, the final chapter, verse 18, down at the very, very end, he, off, he offers another prayerful blessing of grace in Galatians 6, 18. So he opens his letter with grace and he closes his letter with grace. He says, this is from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now he calls his age an evil age. Would you all call our age an evil age? <laughs> yeah, we would think. Um, and then, you know, I would think... Also, though, the first century was a pretty rough time for Christians. I mean, it's, it's rough now, here. Um, but it's about to get a lot rougher. And just a few decades after this, Christianity is going to be outlawed. Um, and they're going to be hunting Christians left and right. Uh, but he says, Jesus gave himself to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God. So the emphasis, though, here is on the greatness of Christ's self-sacrifice and our helpless need for rescue. Uh, sin surrounds us, the present evil age, on every side, almost like it's seeking to suck us in. But Jesus came to give us an option of escape if we're willing to take it. And then in verse 5, he does something that if you read very much of Paul, you notice he does it all the time. Uh, he takes a little praise break and just says, To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And uh, what's interesting about that, I just thought it was something that Paul did, and he does it very frequently, some shorter, some longer. And I think it's in, in Romans 7, 8, or 9, he takes like four or five verses and just like he gets lost in the praise. 
but something Orthodox Jews, it was common for them to break out into a statement of praise after the mention of God's name, uh, particularly Yahweh. I mean, Old Testament Orthodox Jews wouldn't even say it. Uh, which is why in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, that name doesn't even have vowels. So it was almost like they were making it impossible to speak because it didn't have any vowels. And so to make it possible to speak, what they would do is they would take the vowels of another word and give it to that word so we could say it, which is where we get the word Jehovah from. Um, it's the vowels from the word Adonai, Lord, given to the uh, uh, name Yahweh. And so Paul, that's what the Orthodox Jews would do is they would say the name, not Old Testament Jews, but more now, uh, New Testament as well. They would say the name of the Lord, of God, and then they would break into a statement of praise about God as a reminder to themselves of the distinct holiness of his name, of his nature. Um, and so this very well could be the continuation of that habit. I mean, Paul was a Pharisee. He just, you know, it's just part of who he is. He talks about God. He's got to praise him. And so he says, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, which, if you really think about it, it should become a common practice for us, you know, as well. Break into praise frequently because of all the Lord has done for us. And so that, those five, first five verses, that's basically the introduction. You know, some, like I've said, some other letters of Paul, it goes on a lot longer than this. Um, but here he just really restrains himself. He says who he is who he's writing to, says his blessing, and then says how great God is. And then he really kind of berates him a little bit. Uh, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so he kind of makes this bold accusation here. That word, I'm astonished at how quickly you are deserting him, means to abandon Jesus. And it's like changing your allegiance from one thing to another. So he's saying you have changed your allegiance from Jesus to a completely different gospel, completely different teaching than the truth of the gospel of Christ that is salvation through faith alone that he's going to dive into later on. So he's astonished, he's surprised, he's overwhelmed, he's... Really, he's shocked that they would do this. I mean, it's, it's Paul who, who shared the gospel with these people and started these churches. And so he knows them personally. And so he's shocked that this would happen and happen so fast. Um, it's almost like he finds it hard to believe that this is even true, probably except from the fact that news of their uh, defection came from a reliable source, one of his friends. It's almost like this this thing that they did, this abandonment of the gospel that he taught them, it's like a betrayal. He's like he's taking it as a betrayal. And he's experiencing this extreme disappointment and grieving sorrow. It's something that he didn't think was possible. Have you ever had that in, th in, in the way somebody else has acted? <laughs> extreme disappointment and extreme sorrow, thinking, I never thought they would go down that road. Yeah. Ever. And it's, it's Paul saying, it's like that to these guys like guys i just shared the gospel with you the other day like you know last year i ne and, and you were so gung-ho and so passionate i never thought you would be here ever and he's quick to point out that the gospel uh that they're turning to this different gospel 
Uh, it's not really a gospel at all because there's no good news about it. it there, there's no other gospel besides the true gospel. Uh, what has happened is some people came into the church and they started troubling the people, like he says in verse 7. There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, that word, that word trouble literally means to stir up trouble, confusion, or distress. The idea is almost intentionally. And they want to distort the gospel. It means to change it, to twist it around so it doesn't say what it really means. And so Paul is saying, I can't believe you guys are doing this. And uh, any teaching that is other than forgiveness, grace, and mercy, salvation through faith alone, that should immediately be recognized by us as having not come from the Lord, uh, but from more nefarious sources, whether intentionally or not. Um, It's not from God. And so, that's where he starts off with his teaching. I can't believe you guys are doing this. Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. So salvation, any salvation mentioned other than God's grace through faith alone is not true salvation. And Paul's saying that anyone who is spreading such things, that, that, that person is deceiving people, promising heaven but delivering hell. So Paul says that even if he and his co-workers come back to them and they start telling of another way to salvation besides be- believing by itself, then that messenger ought to be condemned to hell because he would be condemning others to hell. Which, I mean, that's pretty severe language. I mean, uh, he said, may we be sent to hell if we come to you and, and say there's any other way to heaven except this way. He says, no matter how important the messenger seems to me, seems to be, whether it's Paul, their church founder, or even if an angel comes from heaven, presents himself with a new message from God, he is not to be believed. Which there are some religions of the world today that the founders believe that an angel came and told them a new way to believe in Jesus. And Paul specifically said here, that's not supposed to happen. (laughs) You know, and that was what, 1,800 years before that happened. So Paul's telling the church, if anybody comes to you, you've got to immediately shut that down. You can't allow that to continue. Um, And then if he taught that way, he should be eternally removed Because his efforts then would be taking as many people to hell as possible when our mandate is to take as many people to heaven as possible. And so the message should not be accepted. It shouldn't be accepted because of the messenger, whether it's Paul or this angel. But the uh, the messenger should be accepted because of the message. One of the commentators I read said it this way. The status of the messenger does not validate his message. Rather, the nature of the message validates the messenger. That what he speaks is what makes or what grants his authority. Which Paul basically said something similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when some guys were saying, well, I like this preacher better and I like this preacher better and I like this preacher better. Paul says it doesn't matter if they're preaching the gospel. He says it's the gospel that matters, not the mouth it comes from. Um, And so he's telling these guys here, it doesn't matter if I come to you. It doesn't matter if an angel comes to you. If they're saying anything other than the true gospel of salvation through faith alone, then they should be condemned by God to hell. Paul's saying, if I were God, that's what I would do. (laughs) 
Uh, and then we get to verse 10, and it kind of, verse 10 almost operates like, like a hinge here. Um, it's a powerful verse. He says, for am I now speaking of the approval, or am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. It would be an easier track in our lives to try to say things and do things that would make the most amount of people happy. But that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to serve whatever God wants. And Paul's saying, if I were trying to, to please man, telling the Galatians, if I were trying to please you people, then I wouldn't have said what I just said in verses 8 and 9, that somebody should be condemned to hell. Uh, I wouldn't come saying that uh, salvation through faith alone is the only way. I would be saying there's all these other ways. There's different ways to get there. He's saying, but I'm not trying to make you happy. I'm not trying to make any person happy. I'm trying to make God happy. If he were simply trying to make people happy, with what he said and did, he wouldn't have said what he just said. But then there in that verse, notice uh, the very last sentence there. If I were still trying to please man. It's easy to miss that word still there. But that implies that he did at some point in the past. Right? Uh, and he did. Um, he talks about this actually later on in this chapter. Before he was a believer, he was an up-and-comer among the Jewish Pharisees, trying to make the right people happy so he could continue to climb the latter and increase his influence. But it makes it very clear that to attempt to gain the approval of people is the opposite of what it means to follow Jesus. Because following Jesus means considering what God wants for my life, my words, and my actions, and then doing that. More than what other people, more than even what I want, it's what God wants and, and living that out in my life. Some people won't like it. Some people will. But if I'm working to please people, then I have stopped serving Jesus. So I might as well serve Jesus and trust him to take care of everything else. It's like, I've quoted it a lot in the last few months, but uh, uh, Charles Stanley's famous life motto is obey God and leave all the consequences to him. That God's going to take care of everything else. You just obey him and don't worry about the other stuff. Um, and so Paul, that's what, basically what he's saying in that verse. If I were trying to make people happy, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so he goes on to begin explaining how his service to Jesus is authority that has been given by the Lord himself, which is a concept he introduced back in verse 1, um, which is something they've been questioning, these people that have come into the church, questioning whether or not he's an apostle. He has a right to say what he's saying. Um, uh, I know that's a first century issue where people come in the church and cause problems. That doesn't happen anymore, but that happened then. Uh, and so Paul is writing to this, this I mean, I, I can't fathom questioning the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I just, just can't even enter my mind uh, who these guys are. But um, Paul, at this point, if, if this is were written in A.D. 48-49, he's been doing ministry uh, 15, 20 years. Um, so he's been around and he founded these churches and these guys are there saying their stuff and he's writing this in response to them. It's just interesting. I try to picture reading some of Paul's letters and, you know, Peter later on and, and John, when they would stand up 
you know, they would write the letters and, and, and send the letters to the churches by some of their friends. Like, uh, you know, and some of the letters were carried by Timothy, another one was carried by Titus. Um, and then those guys would either hand the letter to the uh, pastor of the church who would stand up in front of the church and read it, or that guy carrying the letter would stand up as Paul's representative and they would read it. And you can almost picture as they're reading it, them kind of cutting their eyes around the room because they know who he's talking about. <laughs> Everybody knows who he's talking about. Um, and again, some of these churches weren't, didn't have big 400-seat rooms. You know, they, some of them were in houses. Some of them were in the marketplace. Like, I mean, it's like they were meeting in the grocery, the grocery section of Walmart kind of a deal. And they're reading this. And so people walking by or hearing, oh, I know exactly who they're talking about. <laughs> What's going on with that mess? Um, and so Paul writes this, and then he starts diving into the first issue he needs to address with them here. And it's his right to be able to say this stuff. Verse 11. He says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, notice something. He says it, he said it now, he said in verse 10, he says it now in verse 11, he says in verse 12, uh, the gospel is not man's gospel. It seems like because he's repeating it so much that that was probably one of the accusations they were throwing around. Um, that he's just preaching man's gospel. He's not preaching the gospel of Jesus. It's coming from man. He learned it from some human somewhere, and it's not from Jesus. And the fact that he just, and again, he doesn't say that, but that he uses that phrase over and over and over again makes us believe he's probably addressing a specific issue that they're raising, uh, maybe even quoting some of his opponents in saying this. I didn't receive it from any man like I know you told everybody that I did. He wanted the Galatians to understand that his understanding and belief in the true gospel didn't come from an instruction or persuasion from anyone other than Jesus himself. You see, the early church considered the role of the apostle to be reserved by those who were called by Jesus himself, um, particularly the 12 disciples, and then Judas killed himself, and then Matthias was um, voted in, and uh, then they also considered Jesus' brother James to be an apostle, he was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, and then here comes Paul, several years after all of that, now saying that he's an apostle. Like, not that anybody else is saying it, he's saying it. And uh, uh, they're saying, wait a minute, Paul, you got saved after Jesus died and rose from the dead, and only those people who were called by Jesus could have been called apostles, so the timing doesn't line up. Exactly right. And that's the thing is the people in the church know his testimony because he's told it to them. And somehow these other people have come in and made the people in the church forget what they know, um, have talked them out of it. You know, there's a famous political saying that if you say something loud enough, long enough, people start to believe it. It's almost like that's happening, that it's not the truth, but they're saying it over and over and over again. Yeah, so people are buying into that and uh, it's easy for the opponents to say that uh, uh, Paul had to have had received his understanding of the gospel secondhand uh, because Jesus had already ascended into heaven but Paul's telling the people undoubtedly what he already or what they already know because he's told them but they've been convinced otherwise of his own testimony that the truth of the gospel was revealed to him specifically by Jesus 
on the road to Damascus. He would have known, as a, as a persecutor of the Christians, he would have known what the followers of Jesus believed. You know, he would have researched that and tried to figure out why he was chasing them down and hunting them down. Um, but he, he did not believe it himself. Uh, but that truth of the gospel was revealed to him by Jesus when Jesus uh, kind of removed the veil from his eyes uh, there on the road to Damascus. Uh, so Paul didn't receive the believing gospel presentation from anyone except Jesus himself. And so Paul listened to Jesus, and Paul believed in Jesus. He says in verse 13, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many at my own age, among my people. So extremely zealous was I, for the traditions of my fathers. So he says, you've heard about my life before. You heard about how I persecuted the church violently and tried to destroy it, utterly ruin it, just completely abolish it. But he, he says there he was advancing beyond many of his own age because he was extremely zealous for the traditions of his father. So he's pointing out that before his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, he had no soft spot in his heart for the teachings of Christianity. He was very much an opponent, if not the, the most passionate and intense opponent of what God was doing through the followers of Jesus. He wanted nothing to do with the apostles, wanted nothing to do with what they were teaching the people. He was trying to stop what they were teaching the people. So Paul is saying here that there's no way he could have received his understanding of the gospel from the apostles. Because he's, you can come in, it's all right. He didn't want to come in here. Y'all are eating all the, the lemon cake. He didn't want to come back. <laughs> so Paul's telling him, I didn't get my info from the other apostles. He's trying, he's trying to stop what they were doing. He says there in verse 14, advancing in Judaism beyond uh, everyone else, he was a political social climber within the world of Judaism, to the point that he was excessively ambitious in following after the Jewish traditions, which is what that word extremely means there. Literally in the Greek, it means excessively, over the top, extremely passionate. You know anybody in your life who's excessively passionate about something? It's like they just can't stop talking about that thing. Almost like you don't want to talk to them anymore because that's all they talk about is that thing. Um, and that's the way Paul was. That's what he's saying. I'm ex I was excessively passionate for the traditions of my fathers, for the Jewish traditions. But those words right there also may have been a swipe at some of his opponents in the Galatian church who were saying that salvation was granted through belief and obedience in the Jewish law. It's almost like Paul in saying, I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. It's like he's saying, you think you know the law. I breathed it more than anyone else, even among the Pharisees. You want to come at me with the law business, I know it better than you do. And whether that's his intention or not, that's probably us and our own attitudes reading into the text. Uh, it may have been there. Again, this is Paul at a younger age than some of his other writings. Um, the point is made that he could not have received a saving knowledge except through direct intervention from Jesus himself. Uh, verse, uh, next three verses, 15, 16, and 17. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace 
was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned to Damascus. So when y'all, let me ask you guys that question. When y'all hear Paul writing that, what, what comes to mind? Well, the, the um, 15 where he said, um, when he had set me apart, before I was even born. Right. He knew before I was even born that I was going to talk bad about him, that I was going to try to just say he wasn't who he said he was, going to come against him. He, he knew that even right. before. But yet his grace, he still loved me. Mm-hmm. And he set me apart. Right. That's what sticks out right there about with that man. Yeah. Anything else there? Could it mean, you know, he was really bad. Really, really bad. Right. He was good at being bad. <laughs> yeah, like, right. Really bad. Yeah. Like, where is he at now? So does that right. not show the grace of God? No, that for sure. Even exactly. though you're a horribly, horrible bad person. Right. And you persecuted my people. Yeah. I still love you. And you can still... Be my child, exactly. and then not only that, I can use you to further my word, which yeah. also allows him to say, "I've been on both sides of it." So to me, that allows you to be able to talk to somebody who's been in that same spot, right. so that you can relate to someone, which is going to help you push and further God's word because you can relate to a very, very bad person because you've been there. That's good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Jesus went and got <laughs> the leader of the enemy's team. <laughs> uh, it makes me think of, um, what was it, back in the 1930s, the Yankees and the Red Sox hated each other's guts. They still do. But the owner of the Yankees went and got Babe Ruth from the Red Sox. And some of the Yankees fans didn't want him because he was a Red Sox. But the owner said, well, but he's still good. <laughs> And so he went and got the enemy's best player and brought him to his team and introduced the curse of the Bambino to the Red Sox, who, who didn't win again for 100 years. Um, but it's that idea. Jesus went after the best player on the other team and brought him over. Um, none of the Christians would have thought, oh, yeah, I want Paul on our side. No, they wouldn't have even crossed their minds. They wanted him. They, some of them probably were less than reputable. We're probably praying for his quick demise. (laughs) Uh, But uh, Jesus had other plans. But I find it interesting too, he says, in order that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. You know, when I was up and coming uh, and going to be in ministry, the common thinking was you go to seminary. It's what you do. You you go to college, you go to seminary. You go to college, you go, you got to study this, 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 and this. And Paul coming from the Pharisees, that's what you would have done. I mean, that was their understanding. You're going to go in this lifestyle, then you've got to study this stuff in depth under the tutelage of somebody who's extremely smart. And Paul doesn't do that. He says, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't talk to any people. I didn't go and sit at the feet of the apostles, sit under Peter, uh, which <laughs> uh, he probably would have had to dumb himself down to sit under Peter. <laughs> um, but he said, I didn't go sit under anybody. I went by myself to Arabia 
middle of nowhere, and then returned to Damascus, which is where he had, was going originally to arrest Christians. He says, I went out to the middle of nowhere. Um, we believe out there, even out there in little villages and towns, he was still preaching out there. And then he came back to Damascus, and he preached there. People who thought he was coming to do protests and rallies to arrest Christians, he started doing rallies to bring people to Christ. You see, God's intention in our lives far exceeds anything we think about. It's like you said, Robin, he set me apart before I was born. It predates our lives. He has plans for us long before we were even born. He did this with Paul. He does it with us. And, and Paul listened and began to follow after Jesus' plan and take the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. He didn't go to the educators or the apostles for their advice uh, on what he should say, on how he should teach, um, which is probably a good thing because the apostles were making it up as they went along too. They had no idea what they were doing. You know, they weren't teachers. They weren't educators. A bunch of them were fishermen. Guy was a tax collector. One guy wanted to overthrow the government. They're a bunch of random guys. And they had to learn it as they went and trust in the Spirit, which is what Paul had to do also. Uh, he didn't seek out any other influence for his understanding of the gospel other than Jesus alone. Going to Arabia, coming back to Damascus. Um, you, know, it, you know, it really sounds as though he's being accused by these people of what I said a minute ago that it's obvious he didn't do. It's like he's being accused by the people of, of sneaking into Jerusalem and having the apostles... Not that it's a bad thing, but the way that he's defending himself, it's like they're saying he was indoctrinated by the apostles. He adopted their way of thinking and received his understanding of the gospel from them rather than Jesus, as he said. And that should have, according to these guys in the church, negated his right to call himself an apostle because he would have received from the other apostles and not directly from Jesus, as they had. He got it secondhand. And so... As was being taught, if he weren't an apostle, then what he taught while claiming the authority of, the, of an apostle should be thrown out. And so these guys wanted his teaching thrown out, so they started attacking his authority and his right to teach any of this. So he's telling the people that his message isn't from other people. His message is from Jesus alone and no one else. But I find it interesting, as we'll see it more in just a second too, there really seemed to be deriding Paul accusing him of getting his information secondhand like that's a bad thing like getting the information about jesus from peter and james and john and thaddeus was bad like like, like that's less than um i mean yeah they said it the feet of jesus and were there from his baptism on um and had physical experience with jesus which paul did also on the road to damascus but that's how we all heard from about jesus was from their words they wrote down in the gospel. We hear it from it secondhand. That's not bad. Um, and Paul's saying to these people uh, in trying to defend himself, um, he's going to present that um, later on in the book, uh, but right here he's saying to them, I did have an experience with Jesus. You weren't there on the road to Damascus. Uh, he never brings it up, but my thought would be, if it were me, um, well, let me bring the, the guards who were with me on the road right. who heard him talking and they, they didn't see it and they were scared out of their mind. Let me bring them to Galatia and let's see what they say to you. Um, but Paul doesn't go there. Uh, and so he'd been out, he'd given his testimony here, been out to Arabia, been to Damascus, uh, verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, 
and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. So after a period of three years with the gospel understanding really steeled in his heart, he went to spend some time with Peter in Jerusalem. And he stays with Peter for just over two weeks, which I'm sure, and it says the implication is he's staying in Peter's house. That would have been a very interesting um, situation. Uh, But also just to be a fly on the wall of two weeks of conversation between Peter and Paul. A young Peter, or I mean a young Paul and a younger Peter than when he wrote his letters later on. Uh, But uh, he stays there with him, and then he has to leave. We actually learn about him leaving Jerusalem in Acts chapter 9. Uh, verses 29 and 30, he has to leave Jerusalem because some of the Jews put out a hit on him. Um, and the Christians found out about it and snuck him out of town. And so Peter and James and Jesus' brother James, pastor, who's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, they, they could provide Paul with something that he really could not have known any other way. Even in all of his study and the brilliance of his mind. Um, and that was what Jesus did and what he was like in the day-to-day ministry during their time with him. You know, I mean, James grew up with Jesus, and Peter was with him throughout his ministry. And so he could learn what all took place in that. I mean, like I said a minute ago, I mean, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to read. Paul didn't have that. And so he sits down with Peter, and Peter goes over a lot of the stuff that they did. Undoubtedly, I mean, it doesn't say that, but I can see that for 15 days, hearing some of that. Well, we did this and that, and most scholars today believe Peter was the primary source for the book of Mark, um, and so possibly a lot of what's in Mark is what Peter relayed to Paul, maybe with some other th- colorful stories thrown in. He was Peter, after all. Um, and so Paul wanted the Galatians to understand that he, even though he had not been instructed by the apostles in what he should say to them, um, he still... There was this one time he went and, and sat with Peter and uh, sat with James. Um, actually, if you go back to the book of Acts, uh, after having spent some time with Peter for a few days, Peter went to the other Christians and said, hey, I got this guy Paul here, and none of the other Christians wanted Paul to come because they were too scared of him. Uh, and so Paul still went out into the city and preached, even though the other Christians didn't want anything to do with him, until they saw him preaching and saw people coming to Christ. Uh, and then they were the, actually the ones who said, there's a conspiracy going on. People want to kill you. Let's get you out of town. And so this is who this guy is, who Paul is. He's trying to remind the Galatians of his story because they already know it. And so Paul seems to be saying um, there in that next verse, that verse 20, that parentheses verse, and what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Again, it seems like one of those deals like people in the church are accusing him of lying of making some of this stuff up. He's saying, I'm not making any of it up. Again, you can go ask Peter. You can ask James. Uh, I'm not making this up. Uh, It's like he's saying that may God strike him down if he's lying to them in any capacity. And so he continues with his story in these next few verses. He spends all this time here, significant amount of time considering how long Galatians is, defending his preaching schedule. Uh, He says, Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, 
He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Now under his own interpretation of the direction of the Holy Spirit, he struck out to take the gospel to those places, Syria and Cilicia, after he snuck out of Jerusalem. And you notice, I mean, he, didn't, he, he says there, he doesn't say it there, but he wasn't sent by the church in Jerusalem. He wasn't sent by the apostles. Uh, they probably didn't even have time to send him, to commission him. People were coming to kill Paul, so they snuck him out of town. He got out of town. Okay, what am I going to do? Okay, I'm going to go to Syria. I'm going to go to Cilicia. Um, and he says there, he wasn't known in person to the churches in Judea. Uh, the Christian churches didn't know him personally. All they really knew of him, he's a former persecutor. Now he's a preacher. Um, they, uh, several of the commentators I read suggest that they didn't know what he looked like by him saying, I was unknown in person. They didn't know what he looked like. They didn't perceive his appearance, uh, which is <laughs> very interesting. There, there's one report of Paul uh, that says that, uh, again, this is not in the Bible. This is coming from history. Uh, it says he was a very short man with a unibrow who had very piercing eyes um, and a very crooked nose and uh, was extremely ugly. Um, <laughs> uh, that was, that, that, that's how history remembers the look, the look of Paul. <laughs> um, and so he says that the churches in Judea may have known his name uh, as simply a guy who used to persecute but now is preaching. But they didn't know what he looked like. They didn't know who he could have been. And probably Peter didn't know until he knocked on his door and said, hey, Peter, I'm Paul, that one guy from before. Um, I'm sure that was an interesting conversation right there, too. Uh, but then he says there in that last verse, they glorified God because of me. That God was glorified by the Judean Christians, not because he was fulfilling their commissioning, uh, but really rather because this other guy who had no connection to them, Paul, was preaching the same gospel they were. That he's out there doing the same work, saying the same words with the same intensity, just in a different way from a different part of the country. Um, and so they're glorifying God because God was moving in the same way in the lives of more people than just those centered in one community in the world. So they're glorifying God because of his movement in more places. And that's God's intention. His intention was to take the gospel around the world and to use all wide variety of people to do it. So the Judean Christians are glorifying God because of how much he was already doing and because of his sovereignty that he had in his plan. And so Paul wanted the Galatians to really understand, to know that God's plan is bigger than any one of us can fathom or that we can pull off by ourselves. And so we should celebrate when somebody else is doing something God wants done, when somebody else is doing a great work of God. We should celebrate it um, and not belittle it and make it smaller because it is something to be celebrated, even if we may not fully understand it or understand why God is doing it that way. You see, God did stuff initially through the apostles in Jerusalem, um, not necessarily because they were super special or super great, but because they were the only ones who believed at the time. They were his only volunteers. And uh, as more and more people believed, more and more people were used. Uh, so God did stuff through the apostles. But also, as, as Paul is continually saying to these guys, God's doing stuff through him as an apostle in Damascus, in Arabia, in Syria, in Cilicia. 
and on out into the rest of the world. And uh, so the gospel that he preached to them should not be done away with or tossed out. It should be counted as reliable and uh, faithful. So reading chapter 1 of Galatians, what are some things that maybe jump out at you or that you see you maybe are reminded of or didn't see before? What are some things that stand out to you guys reading Galatians chapter 1? Guess what seems funny to me is they're criticizing Paul because they say he got it secondhand. Right. They weren't around when the law was written. Right. So exactly they're getting all right. of their knowledge secondhand too. You're so exactly right. Uh, you're exactly <laughs> right. I didn't see that. I mean, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, I don't know. I just find uh-huh. it very hypocritical. That they're being very hypocritical. You're right. You're exactly right. Anybody else? Some things that stand out to you from that chapter? Say, for me, there were two things. It was that verse 6 when he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. It's almost like they were lulled into a false sense of security, those first five verses. Like, grace to you and peace. I can't believe you guys are walking away from Jesus. (laughs) What are you thinking? And then that verse 10, um, I've got on a post-it note in my office. Uh, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. But I don't know about you guys, it sure is hard to do that. <laughs> Even deep in our subconscious, we, we still want people to be happy. Um, it's not fun when people aren't nice to you and when people don't like you very much. Uh, I mean, I think of you know, biographies I've read of guys who did, made a lot of decisions people didn't like. I mean, like, um, I think of like Churchill or Margaret Thatcher. She, she had a famous statement one time when somebody asked her, well, don't you care what, or, or somebody was saying, well, people will think this and people will think that. And Margaret Thatcher said, why do you care what people think? I don't care what anybody thinks. Um, which I find that hard to believe. I mean, if anybody could have said that, I would think Margaret Thatcher could have said that. Um, standing up to all those men in Parliament the way she did. Uh, I, I remember as a kid, my dad would watch Parliament just to see her go at it with those other guys in Parliament. Um, but even then, still, you carry it with you. Even if in the moment you appear strong, it's with you for a long time afterwards. Um, you can have firm feet, feet in the moment, walk out of the room, and your knees are shaking. Um, and here's Paul telling people that he led to Christ. I'm not here to make you guys happy. I've got to do what God wants me to do. And if that makes you mad at me, then that makes you mad at me. I don't want you mad at me, <laughs> but I've got to do what God wants me to do. Um, I mean, I mentioned that uh, uh, Charles Stanley earlier. You've got to read his biography. It's so good. But he followed God to the point that he got punched in the face on the platform in church <laughs> because somebody disagreed with him so much. Um, to serve God and whatever God calls us to do, even when I mean, we're going to make mistakes, 
and we will try to please people from time to time. And, uh, and I don't know how it works out for you, but when I try to please people, it, it always screws up. Uh, and it never turns out like you think it will. Um, I think of in Acts when David was said to be a man who, um, follow, who, pl- who followed the will of the Lord in his generation. Um, and we, and David's mess-ups are very famous. Um, and yet it was still said of him, he followed the Lord, that you can still be imperfect and faithful. We're actually going to look at that Sunday. Um, that doesn't justify imperfection. Um, but Paul is saying, I, I try to do everything I can to be faithful to the, Lord, to the Lord. And if at times that means people are unhappy, then people will be unhappy. And we'll figure it out in eternity. <laughs> They're just going to be unhappy for the next few decades. And we'll be fine for the next thousand years. So um, it's a trade-off, I guess. Um, does anybody find it easy to have people not like you? No. <laughs> yeah. Depends on who they are. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's right. That is pretty good. Yeah, it depends on who they are. That's right. Uh huh. <laughs> that's very good uh, well next week we're going to take a look at Galatians chapter 2 um, I love the book of Galatians One, we're going to continue on throughout this semester and the spring semester Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians um, and as we do you will see Paul's uh, language adjust as he ages um, as all of our language <laughs> um I find it interesting in today's culture when people go and find something somebody said 20, 30 years ago and lambast them for it. And I think, do you really want people searching 20, 30 years ago for everything you said? Yeah. <laughs> like, for real. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and, and I think that of preachers often, you know, they get ripped over the coals for one sentence they said 30 years ago. Um, that, why don't we go and video you for an hour, hour and a half a week and do that for 30 years and come back and we'll find something you misspoke here and there. When I do dumb stuff today, I did really dumb stuff 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and everybody's that way. Yeah. So we've got to walk around in a constant state of forgiveness and grace mm-hmm. and mercy because we're offered it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but transparently I don't often do that walk around in a state of offense like I can't believe you did that or said that or did whatever and I'm going to strike you from my mental will and uh, but then we get a guy like Paul who Jesus offered phenomenal grace to Paul mentions in one of his testimony presentations that he voted to kill Christians dragging them out of the house yeah he was he was a terrorist you're right and yet Jesus chose him to be who he was um that we've got to walk around with grace, even when it's hard, even with people we don't like, even with people who don't like us, even with people we want to like us but don't, <laughs> even when people vote the way we don't think they should, or when people s- <laughs> say political statements on Facebook and we don't think they should. <laughs> we still got to offer grace, always. 
Because again, just like verse 10 of that chapter, it's not really about what I think about how other people should live. It's just as much as it's not about how they think I should live. It's about God and how God wants them to live and how God wants me to live. So that's chapter one.